Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a novelist and picture book writer, and I am the older brother of the aforementioned Matt Farrell. And Matthew is here as well. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode. The most recent episode dropped on May 19th, 2020, and it was a review of the Ego Electric Mower. And I don't know about you, but just saying that it was dropped on May 19th does not yeah. seem real. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're in a time vortex like, right oh now. Oh <laughs> my God, it's halfway through May and I'm uh, here at my house. I have a, um, I have a 14 year old freshman, high school freshman and um, the homeschooling, the whole remote learning. She does not go well and it is a, it is strange days and I've now reached the point where motivation is completely around just get through the classes to get to summer so that you can have a break parentheses and so I can have a break. (laughs) It's strange days. So we're going to be talking about the ego mower review. And I think the review itself is very self-explanatory. We won't go over point by point. No. <laughs> uh, the review, because that would just be to then review the review. Um, but I did have an interesting experience as I was watching, which was I had a couple of flashback moments. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was back in Da Nang with the push mower that I had to use. To try and clear the uh, the forty the acres, yeah, and <laughs> and uh, when when Matthew and I were little, um, and entering mainly when we were entering high school age, we had a house that actually had a pretty good sized yard. It was a good sized yeah. front lawn, and we had moved there from a house that had a postage stamp sized yard. So when we were too young to mow the lawn, we lived at a house with a small lawn. And then we moved to a house that we were now old enough to mow the lawn. And so my father, our father, happily said, you boys are going to do this now. Because he didn't want to do it. And he had, (laughs) in my memory, he had never really mowed the lawn at the new house. I just took it over because when we moved into the new house, I was already a sophomore. So I was just automatically doing it. And... Yeah, I would start sometime around 11 o'clock on a Saturday and I would end around 430 because it was <laughs> such a big yard. Well, that was when we had a push mower. <laughs> we had a push mower and it didn't have it wasn't motorized. No. And and that was like the key thing is that it was a push mower that did not have a it did not have a mower. And I think there was a certain level of blindness, willful blindness on our father's part because his attitude was like, you got to get started earlier. Cause you're taking too long. You're wasting time. Yeah. And I would be like, are you paying attention? Like I am out walking. I look like a protester in the front yard for <laughs> four and a half hours at a time with a break for lunch. <laughs> it was literally like, and, and he'd be like, okay, here's your $10 when I was done. And it just, finally I hit a point where I was just like, this isn't worth my time. And that mower, the the push mower broke because it was too much yard for that little push mower. So that mower broke. So we then bought a new mower, which did have self-propelled 
yes. capability, but the yard was still a good four hour job, even with the self propelled At least this time now you weren't breaking your back, pushing the mower up the incline of the yard, but it was still an all afternoon project. Yes. And yeah. dad was still of the mindset, like you boys are just lazy until one afternoon when I had something going on. You were too young to mow the yard yet in my memory. No, I, I, I had been helping. I had been doing it on occasion. You weren't the only one. You did, you did it the most of the time, but I was starting to do it at this, this point. Right. But in yeah. my memory, something happened where I was basically not available. Maybe it was because I started my part-time job and I was no longer available on the weekends, but there was a weekend where he, dad had to do it. Yep. And dad mowed the lawn once. And it was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then suddenly we had a rider mower. Yeah. And I, be, I became the, the go-to rider mower mower. It's like, yeah. I did that most of the time. And I did, I did do it occasionally and doing it on the rider mower was great. Cause yeah, I, I remember, uh, I would, because of the noise of the rider mower, it really was like, um, taking off, taking off in a biplane. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was intensely loud. And so we had ear protective earphones, which were massive, the kind that you see people at the airport yeah. on the tarmac with the yeah. flashlights. Yeah, I remember they those. were that size. And, and I would take I would take the smallest <laughs> earphones that I could find. Not quite earbuds. They weren't like individual earbuds for each phone. It was too early for that. They did have a headband that went over the top, but they were still very, very small. And I could actually get them on and then put the earphones on over them so I could actually mm -hmm. listen to music. So for me, it was actually a, a great experience at that point. Cause then I'm sitting on the rider mower and I'm just casually, I'm just listening to music <laughs> and I'm just tooling around on the little rider mower. Even with the rider mower, it was still a good two hour job Yeah, yeah. because it was a big enough yard. Well, you also um, weren't me. I did it in about an you hour. You would do it really fast. I remember because there was I would one put, time. I would put that thing yeah. into gear, five gear, and I would do that thing as fast as I could. And there yeah. were times I'd be going around one of our small trees in the front yard, and I would I got into the habit of reaching out and grabbing the tree yeah. <laughs> to keep from tipping over. Yeah. I and I remember, I remember uh, mom seeing you do that and realizing that that's what you were doing, and she yelled at you that you were yeah. going too fast. So it was still a big, a big project. I will be honest, there is a part of me that has always been drawn to living in the city the way I do because of that <laughs> because there's no yard <laughs> well you and, you and I used to you and I used to joke that when we would get our houses when we got older we were just going to pave over lot. yeah we're just gonna I was going to put in a parking, parking lot front yard. <laughs> yeah I was I was like I'm just going to put in blacktop and and rent out parking spaces and no joke the apartment that we are in right now when we first saw it, we were coming down the stairs. The, the The building is laid out. Like you come in on the first floor and then our living room is in the basement. So we came in on the first floor. We saw the first floor with the bedrooms and the kitchen. And then as we were coming down the stairs, the real estate agent said, and you, you have private full access to the backyard. And the first thought that went through my head is, oh my God, I have to mow a lawn. <laughs> and then I saw what it is and it's completely patioed over. It's a small yard and it's completely just brick top patio. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, this is perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want any part of having to mow a lawn. So, yeah. so anyway, that those were the flashbacks I kept having. The only other 
connection I, I had <laughs> to this that uh, made me laugh was, I don't know if you remember that our grandfather, our dad's dad, had an electric mower. No, he did? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. He had an electric mower. This is a man who Go was grandpa. born in... <laughs> He was born in 1907. Yeah. Uh, Around there. Something like that. He was, he was by the time the recession hit or the great depression, by the time the great depression hit, he was a full working adult. So he like lived through the depression as an adult, um, which was always stood out in my head as like, that's who he was. He had been through that experience. And I think that played a part in his extremely early adoption when we were we were both both born in the 70s so in the 80s he had an electric mower and i am sure it boiled down to electricity is cheaper than gasoline yeah most likely our grandfather did everything he could to save money and it he was, was cheap she was a cheap he was a cheap man but it was all <laughs> born of he lived through the great depression in in yeah. that way as, as a full-blown uh, working adult. So he used to say to our dad, you don't know what it's like when you go to the bank and the bank is locked and it will never reopen and you don't know what will happen to your money. So that was the lens with which he looked at spending money. And so he had this electric mower. Here's the thing. It was a plug-in electric mower <laughs> that I know that he mowed over the cord at least twice. <laughs> I once, as a young teen, I was probably 13, I mowed their lawn for them. With that mower? With that mower. And their yard, it was the exact opposite of of the yard that we had when we lived at... uh, Small. It was... Their yard was extremely small compared to the house that we moved into when I was in high school. It was this tiny, tiny little backyard and a little front yard and the mower, there were little outlets in the front and back of the house that you could get to. And so somebody volunteered me and I think it was along the lines of probably mom was just like, you should help your grandparents and you're going to mow their lawn for them. The most hesitant person in this entire operation was grandpa. Of course. And this was all being done in the spirit of, well, you should help out your grandfather so he doesn't have to do it. He ended up walking with me the entire time because <laughs> he was in a panic that I was going to mow over the cord. And I kept saying, I see the cord. I'm not going to do it. I know where the cord is. The cord is behind me. I know what I'm doing. And he was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we just stood with me and like walked with me the entire time, including taking it away from me a couple of points. And finally, I just gave up and I was just like, OK, I'm going inside. And I went inside and and mom was there disappointed in me and said, why aren't you helping your grandfather? I said, he won't let me. And that turned into a argument between grandma and grandpa or grandma that went out and yelled at him for not letting me help. <laughs> so my relationship with electric mower <laughs> Is actually much, much older than yours. I, d- I did not remember that. Yeah. And I all. will agree with you completely. It was almost too quiet. It sounded a little bit like a hairdryer running. And yeah. Yeah, it was, really quiet. you know, it was fine for cutting that little yard. It was perfect for, for grandma and grandpa. And, and it avoided, you know, in a smaller yard like that, it avoided all the issues of having a tank of gasoline sitting in a shed, having to get gasoline you know, remembering to refill your little tank when you um, went to a gas station or having to refill or deal with all the the motor parts of a combustion engine. 
But because it was also the 1980s, it had a long electric cord that if you mowed over it, it, the mower would stop instantly. Yeah. Well, speaking of the motor parts, that leads into a story I didn't include in the video, uh, partially because it would have been a sidetrack and also it's a very embarrassing story. But uh, it's I live in the house I'm living in now, and this is the first yard I had to mow since our parents' house. And so my wife and I, we had to buy our first lawnmower. We bought a a Toro push mower and it was a good mower. We used it for a full season. It was great. And the next season when it came around, it was like, okay, we got to change the oil and the spark plug. So it's the first time in my memory that I had to do this. And I know how to change oil. I've changed oil and things before. And I pulled a little dipstick out, you know, wiped it off, put it in all that stuff, you know, see how much was in there. I drained it. I, I poured some of the new stuff in, measured it. And the Toro mower had a dipstick that was this yellow dipstick of plastic. And I don't know who designed, thought, yeah, th- this type of plastic that's yellow is going to be great for measuring your oil because you couldn't see the oil on the dipstick at all. There was just a slight, slight glistening on the edge. And it just kind of went down the entire edge because, you know, you're pouring into this little spout and the oil's on the side of the spout. So, of course, it's going to make contact to the dipstick on the edge. So it's like, it didn't look like I had enough. So I, I poured some more in, put the dipstick in, pulled it back out, looked the same. I was like, God, this has got the biggest oil reservoir. So I just kept pouring more oil in, measuring it, needed more. So I poured more in it for the dipstick. And I was like, well, that's that's got to be enough. That's got to be enough. So I put it in, I tightened it up, started mowing. I'm in the front yard. <laughs> And I'm going up that in the video, that steep hill in my front yard, I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. up that hill and a little fireball <laughs> comes out <laughs> the exhaust port of the mower. And it does like, you know, like a kind of a pop, 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 pop and stops and some white smoke starts billowing out of the mower. And I was like, that's not good. And it's just this white smoke that's coming out. <laughs> I stupidly was like, well, let me start it back up again. <laughs> I started the mower again, which then, of course, just started spewing white smoke out of the same port. <laughs> meanwhile, inside the house, Sue, who's my wife, is walking through the kitchen and looks out the, through the front living room, which has the bay window that looks over the front yard. She can't see me because the, the, the <laughs> bay window is higher than where I was. But all she could see <laughs> was what it looked like. Just white smoke billowing <laughs> up through the air. Now keep in mind we've lived in this neighborhood for about a year, so we're still new to the neighborhood. <laughs> right. There's this lanky little white guy in the front yard with a smoking mower and Sue opens the door and yells out, "What did you do? What's wrong?" And I was like, <laughs> I was immediately like, "I got to get this in the backyard. I want to get out of sight. This is not what I want my neighbors to be seeing." <laughs> so I just yelled back, "Don't worry about it. I got this." <laughs> And I went, I wheeled it up behind the, the house. the man on the porch across the street is whittling is like, fair boy, setting the lawnmower on fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I get it in the backyard and I check it. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And there's like no sign of anything wrong with the motor. And I pull out the dipstick again. And once again, doesn't look like there's enough oil in it. <laughs> so I put the dipstick back. I'm like, I don't get this. I pull, <laughs> I pull, pull the chain again. <laughs> And 
it's really hard to start. Now, this is where somebody with common sense would have said, yeah, I was going to say, do- stop doing what you're coming doing. out would have been enough to stop me. <laughs> stop doing what you're doing. I pull them. I pull it. It's really hard to start. A fireball comes shooting out of the air filter now. <laughs> That's on the side of the mower. And then the motor seizes. It just seizes. And now there's just white smoke billowing like, like there's just, it's, it looks like somebody dropped a smoke bomb in the backyard. (laughs) And that's when I lean over and I pull the burnt now air filter off the side of the mower and there's just oil everywhere. I had put way too much oil in the stupid thing Mm. because the dipstick didn't work like a dipstick should. And it made me look like the dipstick. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> I walked inside and I'm like you the dipstick. <laughs> I'm like I walk back inside and say, "Sue, we're going to Home Depot and we're buying another mower." Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's spin that's, it with like you go in and say, "Good news, Sue, we're getting a new mower. We're going to we're going to go buy a new mower." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's my experience with uh, maintenance of mowers. So when several years went by and I finally got an ego mower, you can understand why. I was so excited about not having to change spark plugs and oil ever again in my mm-hmm. mower. It is that entire story uh, is why I don't want a yard. <laughs> <laughs> I want nothing to do with any of that. But you see, that could have been avoided if I had had common sense. <laughs> like, yeah, that's smoke. It's not a good thing. Stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> I like the attitude of, well, maybe if I started again, <laughs> I don't know I what I was a thinking. fireball and then I had smoke. I think if I start it one more time, I think in the back of my mind, I was just thinking, I really got to put this yard. <laughs> <laughs> this thing just erupted into a fireball, but this grass is so tall. <laughs> <laughs> I got to mow this yard. I can't wait anymore. Your video, like we said before, is pretty self-explanatory. It's a positive review of the mower. One of the things that I noticed in the comments, and it it kind of linked back to you had a moment in your video where you talked about the fact that there's a separate manual key. Mm -hmm. And you were like, I'm not quite sure why they have that. And then one of the comments in... uh, it didn't really spur much discussion. It was just one person made a comment, but their comment was one of my main concerns has always been the safety. If you've got kids around them, not being able to start a mower. Right. And that's when for me, the, there was the little connection between those two points of, I think that the safety feature of a manual key allows for people who don't trust people around them to be safe, to be able to actually take that manual key with them and put it somewhere where the mower will not start without it. So kids wouldn't be able to hurt themselves, especially with a mower, as you point out, that is so quiet that if somebody did go in and start up a device that's that quiet in a garage and somebody in the house wouldn't know it was even running, that could potentially be very dangerous for. That's, that is, that, that is true. But on the flip side, the ultimate safety is the battery because you don't leave the battery in the mower. You take it out when you're done. So you could just put the batteries on a super high shelf to keep them away for kids and the kids wouldn't even be able to start the mower whether there's a key or not. Mm-hmm. So the, the batteries themselves are kind of acting like a, a removable key. So true, true. no battery, no power. 
I think there is also if you tie your children to their desk chairs in their That's rooms. That's a good yes, yes. Which is obviously the the first line of defense here. Yes. So. Yes. Fer- feral parenting tips. <laughs> <laughs> People wonder why I'm having difficulty with homeschooling. <laughs> so uh, you also mentioned that you noticed some trends in the comments that you wanted to bring up. One of them being around the next step beyond electric mowers, which would be the equivalent of a Roomba, right? Yes. Yeah. Several people commented like, why did you go with an electric push mower when you could have gone the extra step and gotten basically a full self-driving electric mower? Because they do exist. Um, and several people in the comments mentioned one, mentioned one of the leading brands that does this and how much they love them and how well it works. But when I looked into those a few years ago, the reason I stayed the hell away from them was it it's like putting invisible fencing in your yard for a dog because mm-hmm. it requires you burying and putting wiring around your property line as right. well as putting a line directly through the middle of the yard that the mower can follow to get back to its little docking station. Right. And once it's, once it's set up, it's set up and it just works and you're good to go, but it's very disruptive to get one of those things set up. There's a lot of setup to do to get to work. And for me, it was like, that's just a non-starter. I that's no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. It's too much. It's just too much. And also they're very expensive. And so I've been waiting for the ultimate one, which would not require wire. And that's actually on the way. And iRobot, who makes the Roomba, has one. It's called the iRobot Terra that's going to be coming. It was supposed to be coming out this year, but they delayed it because of COVID. Um, and there's no sign as to when or they if were afraid the robot run. would catch it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's obviously because of, you know, manufacturing and yeah, all manufacturing. That stuff. Yeah. Right. So, it, hopefully it will come out like in the next year or two because that's the one I'm actually waiting for because it doesn't require any wiring at all. It's It uses the same technology their uh, vacuums use where it actually can see and learn your yard and you set up these like little light posts like mm. in your yard so it knows where the boundaries are and it will just learn your yard to a point where it's like it understands what the front yard is, what the backyard is, where all the like little obstacles are. Mm-hmm. Because it's got machine learning and intelligence to it. So it's right. much easier to set up. And it's actually a better system than what currently exists. Like the the robot, the vacuum cleaners, the iRobot vacuum cleaners, actually you can tell it what room's what. And then you can say, go clean the living room. Right. And it will only go into the living room and clean the living room. So it's like right. the mower uses that same technology. So it's like, that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> in in my mind, I'm I see uh, what looks like a Roomba leaving the yard and rolling down the street and screaming out <laughs> free at last. <laughs> What's cute about the, the, the tarot one. It reminds me of like, it's like a little Wally. <laughs> right. I also can't help it in my mind picture, not Wally, but Maximilian from the black hole. Oh God. <laughs> with <laughs> His spinning blade, his hands. whirling, his whirling <laughs> arm blades that he uses to kill people. Uh, and I envision that thing walking around your house. <laughs> uh, could you do something with those bushes? <laughs> never mind, never mind, never mind. <laughs> do whatever you want, Maximilian. So what was the other trend that you noticed in the in the comments? Oh, it was just, there was a lot of people that commented about 
how they've gone electric with their mowers. Like a bunch of people got the same like eco line of mowers that I have. Other people talked about Ryobi and different brands, but there was mm-hmm. a surprising number of people in there that talked about going electric and that they'll never go back for all the same reasons we just talked about, like no maintenance and how much quieter they are. Uh, the only thing that people tended to, to comment on that said they wouldn't go this way is they have huge yards and they, of course, as you described in your opening story, you don't want to be mowing two acres with a push mower and yeah. rider electric mowers do exist, but they're crazy expensive right now. So until those prices come down in a meaningful way, it's like, this is probably the best option for people who need push mowers, not rider. Right. Mowers. Right. Or those, you know, the evolution of what you described as the, uh, robotic, mowers if you had a large enough yard i imagine there will be manufacturers that will sell two packs where it would be <laughs> yeah you could get a couple of those things and they would be chasing each other around the yard which would actually be kind of cute yeah you could put racing stripes and numbers on them and <laughs> so with the remaining time left uh we thought we would just continue to share things that we are uh, watching in order to maintain some semblance of obscenity. Um, for me, I'll start it off. Uh, the most recent thing that I've jumped on is something that Matt, you talked about in the past, which is the new clone wars, mm-hmm. uh, season. We're about halfway through now and I'm really enjoying the storytelling. I haven't reached the point where it's like mind blowing. I'm just enjoying seeing the wrapping up of certain story elements Yes. Um, and the introduction of, of in the first episodes, the bad batch, which are the clone troopers that are, um, yes, you know, the non-regular, um, troopers. And have you heard this as well? I've somehow I've either manufactured it completely in my head on my own, or I read it somewhere online, um, that the bad batch is actually going to get a spinoff show. I've read the same. It wasn't that it is for sure, but that it was, it might. That's yeah. what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and other than that, we've been doing a lot of maintaining of the same programming that we've been watching, uh, which includes a lot of cooking shows and stuff like that. But, but there have been a couple of dips into old favorites. And one of them was the movie spy with uh, Melissa McCarthy which and uh, Jason Sratham and it's one of the funniest and probably the best type of parody of a Bond film that you could probably get to. You can go mm-hmm. into the full-blown satire of um, Austin Powers, but this is effectively a Bond movie in which it's a comedy. And I think right. that it's, it's brilliant for that, for that reason. Um, and the performance is top to bottom. Everybody is so funny and the dialogue is so funny. Uh, and the other thing that I accidentally started the other night, we were sitting in front of Netflix. We just finished something and I scrolled down a little bit and then hit play because my girlfriend was sitting there on her phone. She was doing her own thing. And I was just like, I just want to watch a few minutes of the few minutes of this. And then we watched pretty much half of it, which was the matrix. Oh Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Is now uh, more than twenty years old, and is still in a lot of ways ahead of the curve with yes, yes. new movies. 
it really is such a breathtaking film and seeing Keanu Reeves um, who looks like he's 20, nothing. And as we were watching it, my girlfriend turned to me and she said, I am so happy because here's little young baby Keanu who has no idea what an icon he's going to become. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I really like, there is that moment of like, yeah, holy shit. Like, this really was the starting point of he had been in movies. He had made movies. He was a known Hollywood star, but that movie in particular, like boom, suddenly he turns into the guy who gets a standing ovation for doing a voice in a video game. Yeah. Um, so I would argue he, he was, he was already big when he did. He that. was already I mean, big. He, yeah. That's speed what made him. Yeah. Huge. Speed and yeah. Uh, point break. And those movies had already, Bill and Ted. yeah, Bill and Ted, <laughs> those were already out and he was in no way in a decline, but I think that the movie, as I said to my girlfriend, uh, she's a little bit younger than me, so she didn't uh, see the movie it, in the same way that I did. Um, it was a, I think that what caught people by surprise was not the actors, but what the movie itself was. Yes. Because um, she compared it at one point to Pulp Fiction, and it is kind of a actor defining role in the same way that Pulp Fiction was, you know, Samuel Jackson suddenly was a thing. John Travolta yep. came back. Um, but it was less about, Oh, they've just rescued the careers of these actors and more about like, Holy cow, this movie, what are they doing in it? Uh, whereas Pulp Fiction had a little bit of both. So that was a fun, uh, fun thing to return to. And, I've got a couple of things on my to-do list, which I'm looking forward to. One of them, I want to get to it before it leaves Hulu, uh, is called Prospect. And it is a low-budget sci-fi film about uh, miners, space miners. And mm -hmm. it's effectively an old Western set in space. And so it's a, the story of a man and his daughter who are trying to stake a claim. And hmm. there's a... Uh, the the guys in black hats who show up um to take the land away from them but it's all set in a sci-fi space milieu and for me it is reminiscent of a pulp novel that i read um that was published in the 1950s called space miners and it is literally like there's an old folk song called the big rock candy mountain. I don't know if you've ever heard that song mm -hmm. and it's, it's an old, you know, it's an old um, tune about miners looking for the, the big stake that they can uh, get their payday on. And the pulp novel is effectively the same thing. Miners in space. And it is a struggling miner finds a asteroid that has a deep current of like amethyst or something like that in it and a bunch of competing interests start circling and it's effectively it's it's like deadwood i mean that's basically what the story is deadwood um and the movie is supposed to be r really well done for a very low budget and mm -hmm. it looks like it was filmed probably you know somewhere in the southwest and with people wearing makeshift um basically makeshift makeshift astronaut costumes right but it's supposed to be a, a pretty well done movie so I, I want i've been trying to get time to get to that and i just haven't been able to get to it yet but it looks good there's two things i wanted to bring up is um a friend of the show logan 
Um, he's talked to me on Twitter a few times about how he and I are both Trekkies and he's been going through and rewatching, starting with the original series, he's going to be going through all of the series. And I've done this myself several times and I'm kind of due to do that again. But one of the things that you can do is somebody's put together kind of a, an order that you should watch them. That's not the order they were made, but it's so the it's order, chronological order. Yes. Yeah, the chronological order of the way it actually happened in the timeline. Right. And so you end up watching movies out of order. You end up watching like the original series and you'll jump to deep space nine and then you'll go back to this. And it's like, you do all these kind of, you watch it in a different order. Mm. And I've been thinking about do, trying it that way. Uh, so that's something I've been wanting to start soon but I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, but the other thing is I've got Disney plus and watched, of course, the Mandalorian, which I absolutely loved. Uh, but there's a, they just, Disney plus just released a series about the making of the Mandalorian. And if you're a fan of filmmaking and a fan of technology, you need to watch the making of the Mandalorian. It's mm. kind of mind blowing. It's, it's interesting from a creative point of view because they talk to all of the directors that worked on the show and the way they filmed the show is not like a, I've ever seen before. All of the directors worked together. So they hmm. when they filmed the sh- when they filmed the show, it wasn't like you bring in this director, he's here for 2 weeks and he goes away and never to be seen from again. So they treated all it almost like the way they do the writers because typically correct. the writers, there will be a writer's room and they're like all a director together. Room. And then there's yeah. one writer who gets the yes. polish run and their name is the one that appears on the episode. Right. So this was, they each had individual control of different episodes, but when they were together, it was like there's shots behind the scene shots of like, you know, one director directing the sh- shot. And then the background is a director from a different episode watching and giving feedback. And wow, it, it's that's really cool. It's really cool creatively how they brought the show together. And then the second part of it that was fascinating, I just watched the episode, um, the most recent one, where they talked about the technology. And anybody that's a Star, Star Wars fan, knows, you know, George Lucas, really, just like James Cameron, has pushed film technology forward in ways that was have never been done before. And they're, you know, George Lucas has just like been a pioneer when it comes to how special effects and how you push the industry forward to do newer and crazier things like with ILM and all the stuff that they do. Right. Well, to film <laughs> the Mandalorian, they used a new, they used new technologies in ways that's never been used before for special effects. Now, usually when you see a big, uh, I, I wondered how they did this show on a TV show budget, but it looks like a movie. And some of the scenes that they were filming in, it was like, where did they find, you know, like it looks like they're on location out in the middle of a desert yeah. filming this stuff. It's like, how, where did they find this? Cause it, it looks incredible. And yet it looks for alien. Like, how do they do this? Well, they filmed the entire show on a soundstage and they called this area the volume and it's using new tech. It's well, not new tech, but it's combining new technologies in ways that have never been done before in film where there are LCD panels uh, that you can get that are massive. Like they're the size of a billboard kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. The technology for this is getting so good and the pixel count is getting so high and they're so bright now. Like when HDR content with HDR TVs, the number of like nits, the amount of light that these panels can put out, it's, it's like <laughs> the point where you could actually 
blind yourself a little bit by looking at them too long at full brightness. So they're literally putting a screen up with like the horizons of yes. So they're taking planets and jungles. Yes. So instead of using a green screen, where when you do a green screen, you have actors acting on a set where everything is green. You've probably seen behind the scenes footage of this kind of stuff happening. And so Mm -hmm. the actors are having to imagine where they actually are and do stuff and like jump onto a little green box and then jump off the green box. And then later in Mm post-production, that box and the background's taken out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, The challenge with doing that is that the lighting on the actors is sometimes slightly different than what you're getting in the scene that you're dropping them into. Yeah. So if you have the Mandalorian who's wearing shiny chrome armor, if he's on a green screen, all the reflections in his armor are going to be green. So not only are you cutting him out of the background to put him in a different location, you're then having to basically go in and redo everything that's being reflected on his armor. And it becomes very expensive and laborious to do that. So what the volume was, it's a series of like all these massive uh, LCD panels that wrap the entire room and the ceiling. And then they're using the Unreal game engine, oh my a God. game engine. <laughs> to, so the, basically, instead of the 3D artists doing this in post-production, they're creating all of the scenery in pre-production. And then during the filming, it's really being projected in real time. So and the, the actors cameras, look up at a spaceship that's flying overhead and they're yes, actually looking the at actors, the spaceship flying overhead. Y- yes, so the things that they're interacting with are actual set props they're interacting with. So that like the scene where they're with the the uh, Jawas next to the the big you know tread, that was really in the room. So the, all the Jawa actors and then the big there's just one giant tread, but then the cavern walls and the sand and like the sky, it's all on these LCD panels. And so from Remarkable. the actor's point of view, it feels like you're really in the space. From the filming perspective and the, oh that's the other part of it is that the cameras essentially you know like with vr helmets you have uh hand controls that you know know how they're being held because they have gyroscopes in them yeah they essentially put a gyroscope on the camera and so as the camera is moving around the unreal engine knows where the camera is in real space and where it's looking and how it's tipped and all of that stuff so the lcd panel that is in view of the camera. It changes the camera can perspective see, properly. Changes the, changes the parallax and the perspective in real oh time God. to make sure that it always looks realistic to oh the God. final thing that ends up. So it's a little trippy to watch the behind the scenes of how it looks because it's like the where they're standing looks real, like they're standing in a hangar, but then there's this area that's kind of behind the actors that is like shifting in weird perspectives and it's because the camera is moving and it's changing in real time. And so what you end up with is you end up with the Mandalorian with reflections through his armor and everything that looks like the environment he's standing in because they made it look like that thing. And oh, one of the yeah. stories that one of the special effects guys talked about was it was so real. There was one time that they were setting up for the next day's shoot and they were had it was in the hangar and they had everything set up in the middle, like the, the real props and the background, the screens were turned off. So it was like just like white. And he mm-hmm. said, they had somebody said, okay, turn it on. And it kicked on. And it suddenly felt like you were really standing in a real hangar. And as part of the special effects in the background, they said there was something in the background that was like welding and it was mm-hmm. giving off sparks and smoke. 
And he said, somebody off in the distance started yelling, oh my God, fire, fire, something is on fire because it looks so real. <laughs> right. <laughs> it looked like something was smoking. Oh my God. This is going to change everything for filmmaking. And yeah. uh, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, is that her name? Yeah. Uh, the actress, she actually directed one of the episodes. She yeah. said, I love this, that George Lucas talked about decades ago that at some point we're going to be able to make these huge science fiction epics in your garage yeah, because it'll be so easy to do and the, the technology will make that possible. And she said, so she goes, when I came on the set and saw how this was all working, I realized, oh my God, this is George's garage. We are in George's right. garage. The technology is now here. We're doing exactly what he talked about like 20 years ago. Right. It's, it's so cool. It's so it's so worth watching just for that. That was episode four, I think it was. I wonder so what it's it. like for her because I imagine it's entirely possible that she, as a child, grew up having met him. I'm pretty sure she did. Because yeah. her father was in American Graffiti and so they yeah. know each other. And um, her father directing, of course, Han Solo. Will you know, yeah. it, it's... Uh, and Willow, which was another Willow, yeah, Lucas yeah. movie. So I, it must be an interesting experience for her. I'd, I'd love to to hear more about her thoughts on that. It's interesting because everything you described is actually an older film technique that they used to do where they would just project things onto yeah. a screen behind the actors yeah. and the actors would stand in front of it. And uh, most recently I listened to the podcast, How Did This Get Made? with um, June Raidfield and Jason Mansukas and... Um, Oh, the third, the third name is, is escaping me. Uh, but it's, they discussed the movie Megaforce and oh, yeah. Megaforce, which was, it came out when we were kids and it's yeah. a terrible, terrible movie. Uh, my best friend at the time went and saw it, uh, with another friend. And I remember it was the first moment that I realized that friends could have other friends and like <laughs> he was my best friend and he went and saw the movie with somebody else. And I was just like, wait, wait, what, 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 what? what you're seeing other people. <laughs> um, and he loved that movie and it was years before I ever saw it. When I finally saw it, I was like, this is a piece of crap, but <laughs> they use that technique a lot in the movie where the actors stand in front of a screen and yeah. it looks terrible. I mean, it's it was terrible, used on King Kong. That's yeah, how they did used some a King lot. Kong. And it's, and yeah. it's, a, it looks terrible if it's done poorly. Um, to find out that the Mandalorian is the evolution of that is mm -hmm. actually dumbfounding. That's amazing. Um, kind of a shift of gears here, and I can edit this out later if if you want me to, but I'm going to throw this out here. How would you feel about doing a podcast of watching all the Star Trek in chronological order? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how would yeah. our listeners feel about that? Would there be any interest yeah. in, in listening to that? I think that that would be a lot of fun. An episode a week. Yeah. No, we could do that. That'd be easy. All right. Yeah. I've been thinking about ways of expanding into other territory with yeah. the podcasting thing because I think we've got it kind of nailed down as far as equipment and the schedule and all that. And I was thinking, what else could we do? Yeah. And then you mentioned that and suddenly it was like, boing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll talk more uh, off microphone, but. So was there anything else you wanted to share as far as the things you've been watching, things you've been, is there anything on your, on your radar that you want to get to, but you haven't been able to yet? There's movies I've been wanting to get to, but there's too many of those. <laughs> it's a, it's a list. Yeah. 
It's a really strange time being at home constantly, but still feeling like there's not enough downtime. Yes. And I don't know what your experience of it is, but my experience of looking at you, I've been thinking, wow, Matt is working a lot. I am <laughs> because I've had moments where I've reached out to you like, Hey, you free this evening to get together and do this or that. And you've been like, Nope, Nope, not tonight. And it's, you aren't able to maintain the schedule we used to do when there was no work at home order. <laughs> so I've been sitting here thinking like, shit, Matt's working a lot. Yes. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> So with that, we'll we'll leave the listeners with the message of take a break, carve out some time for yourself, even if it's just 30 minutes. You could do what I like to do, which is go into your paved backyard and look straight up at the sky and imagine that you don't spend 23 and a half hours a day inside. <laughs> Let us know what you think about the uh, YouTube review of the lawnmower or about the podcast. You can reach out to us through Twitter at stilltbdfm. You can reach me at by Sean Farrell. You can reach Matt at Matt Farrell, or you can reach him at Undecided MF. Be sure to watch for the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube, and you can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm. Please subscribe to both. You can find the podcast on all major podcast providers like iTunes or Spotify, and be sure to give us a rating a review and share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast the podcast helps the channel the channel helps matthew and then matthew helps me thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you next time <laughs> <laughs>